0: Welcome to the First Pres podcast, which features the message from this past Sunday's worship. If you would like to worship with us in person, our services are Sunday mornings at eight thirty, nine, ten, and eleven o'clock. You can learn more about First Pres at www.first-pres.org. Amen. So as I mentioned, today we finish... Our study of um, thessalonians, first Thessalonians, we finish our embedded series, and alongside the Thessalonians over these past few weeks, who were a church that God had planted and embedded in that city um, for His sake and for theirs we 've also been looking at what it means for our church to be embedded and planted in the city of Colorado Springs for over the last one hundred and forty years we 've also been looking at where our lives each of our lives are embedded during the week throughout um, places where we live, work. Um, and where, we, um, where our neighborhoods are. So we're going to end today in chapter four, where Paul gives um, instructions, finally, about how to live the Christian life. The message is simply this. A life that pleases God is a life that's always growing. So open your Bibles, 1 Thessalonians chapter four. Listen to the word of God. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact, you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before, for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now about your love for one another, We do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more, and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business, work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word this morning. May it be planted deep in our souls um, where you might water it and nourish it, that fruit might come about in our lives. Lord, our hearts are open as we listen to you. Speak to us this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Well, the dandelions in our yard this spring have been unrelenting. When I think of a growing process that is never ceasing, that is almost impossible to stop, I think about dandelions. And I really see it as my job to kill them, uproot them, defeat them. I'm not very patient with weed killer, Um, I dig them up. I want to see their roots and know that they're gone. And a little aside of this, our neighbors on both sides of our yard, um, of our house, are not as passionate as I am about this process. And so I am feeling like I am just constantly battling the blowing seeds of dandelions. Um, There's war in my yard, and I am on it. Several weekends ago, my daughters came out to help me with their little shovels, and it made me so proud. They understand that we have to be all in this together. (laughs) Later that day, I talked to my mom and asked her what she did that day, and she said, I was digging up dandelions in my yard, and it all became clear to me. I don't remember her doing that growing up, but apparently this is the way of life in my family, and we pass it on generation by generation. This is our small contribution to the flourishing yard project in our neighborhoods. (laughs) Paul says in his letter to the Thessalonians that the Christian life is one that's always growing, A relationship with God is one of abundance, he teaches. It's growing more and more. Sanctification is the process of growing more and more like Christ. This is our life. And when we're engaged with the life that God has given us, it's pleasing to God. He's pleased when we roll up our sleeves and dig in with him. Your life is a garden shooting forth the life of Christ. And he calls us to work alongside him. Paul has already commended the Thessalonians way back in chapter one that their faith is influencing the Macedonian world. It's ringing out even further for all to see. God is being faithful to what he has planted in them, to where he has planted them, and they're working hard alongside the gardener to participate in the flourishing life of their city. But let me get back to the dandelions for just a moment because I want to be clear here. Um, Dandelions are weeds, You know this. So the dandelion metaphor is not the picture I would use to illustrate the growing of our spiritual lives. But according to Paul, there are practices, habits, and ways of living that have to be ruthlessly dealt with in our lives so that real life, true life, can grow. Attending to our lives and the weeds in our lives that need to be rooted out, and in this passage, he's going to specifically talk about practices of the body. It's all part of the growing process. All of that together is the process of sanctification, and so we too work alongside the gardener, learning the rhythms of true life together and individually, day by day, week by week, life by life. This is us, this is our life together. So Paul begins this section of scripture with what I would call a mini parent-teacher conference. He reminds the church that their goal is to live to please God. And at this point, he seems to be giving them an A in pursuing and pleasing God. We instructed you how to live in order to please God as, in fact, you are living. And then he encourages them to keep living that way, to keep orienting their lives toward Christ. Live your whole life worthy of God. Back in chapter two, keep going. Keep running after the Lord. This past week, Our kids started swim practice, and as many of you know, the Holtz summer activities are completely oriented around the pool. And our kids will work hard at swim practice. They will listen. They will follow instructions to please their coaches. Their coaches care about them. They know what it takes to become a good swimmer. But their coaches also care deeply about the kind of people their swimmers are becoming. And so they approach the swim team as a place where kids can grow in character, Serving others, learning leadership skills. It's actually quite a remarkable program. The coaches will work with them on individual strokes, of course, and getting them fast and competitive, but they are oriented towards the whole of these young kids' lives. The truth is that God is interested in every part of your life. The Lord calls us to grow in godly attitudes, behaviors, and practices in our lives, and we are to respond wholeheartedly. Spurred on and filled with the Holy Spirit, cultivating a life-oriented toward Christ. Paul praises the Thessalonians for living this way, for seeking to please God in everything. Way to go, he says. Keep it up. Yes, you're on the right track. Now, as summer approaches here in Colorado, we are really given a moment-by-moment picture of the beauty of God's creation, we should probably just pause and just be really grateful for the backdrop that we get to live our lives in. The trees are sprouting, leaves, the flowers are blooming, it's warming up, the mountains look gorgeous. Creation awakens and we get a front row seat in this beautiful, beautiful place. And what we see externally around us, I wanna suggest, is a metaphor illustrating the creative and vibrant life that God is calling us into. That is what he is doing in you, wanting to create vibrant and flourishing life in your life and in our life together. Each budding tree and blooming flower speaks to God's pleasure in his creation. He wants us to grow and flourish like the oak tree and the lilac. So here's the thing. Before you try to please God, you need to know that God is pleased with you. God is pleased with you. He loves you. He created you. He wants nothing more than for you to live fully into the life that he has given you in Jesus Christ. And just like in a garden, parts of your life will flourish. Some parts will be pruned. Some things will be rooted right out, which can be painful. But in our lives, God brings beauty and growth opportunity for sacrifice and forgiveness. He helps us build relationships that flourish and cultivate new patterns in our life that honor God and honor neighbor. As God's word takes deep root in our lives, we begin to grow. A life that pleases God is a life that is always growing. Paul then turns to matters of the body He wants to remind the Thessalonians that while they are wholeheartedly pursuing the Lord, that there is a culture still swirling around them that threatens to pull them off course. His writing doesn't seem to indicate that they're having any particular problem with this, but when one is embedded in a place, it's good to keep eyes wide open to the surrounding forces. Paul reminds them that a life that pleases God is a holy life. Martin Luther, Luther wrote quite a bit about living our lives in praise of God. He also wrote about the desire in our lives that as we pursue the Lord, we begin to understand and want to align our bodies um, with what God is doing in our lives, that they too might live in praise of God. The sanctification process, as you know, is not just about soul and spirit. The sanctification process is about our whole selves, the whole of us, including our bodies, coming into alignment with Christ. And so accordingly, in verses three through eight, right in the middle of our passage, Paul exhorts the Thessalonians to avoid sexual immorality, in verse three, to learn to control your body, in verse four, and to not wrong or ever take advantage of a brother or sister, in verse six. Part of our sanctification process is avoiding sexual immorality. Porneia is the Greek word from which we get our word pornography. It means sexual pursuits apart from the covenant of marriage. In the culture surrounding them, in Thessalonica, there was little or no stigma attached to this kind of behavior. For men, especially, porneia was the status quo. No guilt, no sense that something might be wrong with this pursuit, it was just part of being male. F.F. F. Bruce said of this cultural value that a man might have a mistress who could provide him intellectual companionship. The institution of slavery made it easy for him to have a concubine. Casual gratification was readily available from a prostitute. And the function of a wife was to manage house, his household affairs and to be the mother of his legitimate children and heirs. That was just normal in that culture. And Paul says... No. This is not what God intended. Now, we might think that our time is one of the most challenging times in history when it comes to sexual immorality, but the Greco-Roman culture of Paul's age was incredibly lax when it came to sexual practice. Historians write that cities were places of wildest corruption In fact, one historian writes there probably has never been a period in history when vice was more extravagant or uncontrolled than in the time of the Caesars. The word that Paul uses here in verse 3 that's translated avoid is a very strong word. Cut off, abstain, separate from. This is not a command of moderation but of complete avoidance. This is the dandelion dilemma. Dilemma. Root out these practices, or they will keep showing up and do immense damage in your life. Scripture teaches us, as you know, that our bodies are gifts from the Lord. Our bodies are how we experience life, relationship with God and others, serving others, giving birth, doing work, loving. But our bodies are not the entirety of who we are. They are not to control us. We are not simply a bundle of physical impulses needing gratification. As people created in the image of God, we are much more than that. Paul writes that we are to learn to control our bodies in ways that are holy and honorable. Paul raises up the dignity of each person, saying that no one who is in relationship with God should ever take advantage of a brother or sister sexually, ever. Sexual, or, sexual immorality damages people. Pornea degrades, uses, and destroys another. When one's life is oriented around pornea or around the appetites of the body, destruction inevitably follows. Paul's instructions flow from the God given dignity of male and female. Learn to control your bodies, Paul writes, to bring them into alignment with God's purposes. And as we mature in Christ, learning to control our bodies, we discover that there are much more life-giving pursuits for the body. And if you have any more questions on that passage, make an appointment with Tim and ask him. (laughs) I thanked him for giving me this passage to preach on. So let's move on to verse (laughs) 9. Paul writes, now about your love for one another. Love. A life that pleases God moves towards others in love and service, building up the body. While pornea disintegrates a person's life, pulling it apart, diminishing and breaking its humanity, and moves a person towards isolation, shame, and retreat, even death, in the community of Christ, that is not so. And community, the love of the believers, catches the broken, lifts them up, and in the community of Christ's love, our damaged humanity begins to show signs of life and wholeness once more. The antidote to porneia is participation in loving Christ-centered community. The word here is Philadelphia, translated brotherly love. And the contrast couldn't be more clear between these two. While porneia tears apart, takes advantage and dehumanizes, Philadelphia brings together, lifts up the other, restores and redeems damaged relationships. Human beings flourish when they're surrounded by love and encouragement. Paul says the Thessalonians exhibit such love, and again he urges them to love one another more and more. A life that pleases God loves others well. The love of God moves us to the love of others. Jesus told his disciples that the world will know that they are his disciples by their love, for one another, which means that the quality of our love right here in this room is a radical catalyst for the world's ability to see God more clearly. Think of the person sitting on your right, the person on your left. These people are God's gift to you, whether you know them or not. And moving towards them with love, with the love of Christ, changes. The world. Let's think about it practically. This church is big. This service includes a lot of people. But where during your week does big church become small for you? Where are you learning to love the brothers and sisters? On the map of your weekly life, where is your Philadelphia? Philadelphia? who are the people you meet with regularly in a small community or a small group, perhaps a spiritual friendship, one or two who know you well, a place where Dietrich Bonhoeffer says we are speaking the gospel to one another. Keep going, keep growing. Love the community of Christ well. And finally, we end with these verses, verse 11 and 12. Paul encourages them to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business, work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Writer and spiritual director Ruth Haley Barton is well known for her illustration of the jar of river water. She says, your life is like a jar of river water, all stirred up, and what we need is to stop and be still, and to let the sediment and the dirt and the rocks sift down to the bottom. When we don't take time to be still, our lives are cloudy, full of debris, hard to see. Take a deep breath. She says, be still. Let your life settle so that you can see your life clearly. A life that pleases God is a quiet life. Paul writes, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Another way to say that is strive with all your might to be still. Aspire to live quietly. Make it your ambition to be at peace. A life that pleases God is a quiet or a quieted life. And here it's not so much the command to stop talking or take up residence in a monastery, or a verse that all of us introverts have longed to find, affirming that introverts really are morally superior. (laughs) But the direction of this command leans towards a quietness of soul, an inner stillness, an understanding of purpose that brings peace and perspective. It's, It's knowing why you do what you do. The command refers to an inner strength that flows into your daily tasks, and responsibilities. It's not so much do less or talk less, although that may be the application that you have, but a call to cultivate a stillness deep inside so that you might have a sense of purpose in all that you do. It's not necessarily a call to look at your schedule and start cutting things out, although that may be the result, but to know why you're doing what you're doing. What is God's call on your life And how does that flow throughout your daily tasks? Only a still heart can answer that question. It is possible to be very active for the Lord and be at peace. Paul writes about the importance of work. God has given you work to do. You should do it. Paul continues, you should mind your own business or attend to your own affairs. Don't have your hands in everybody else's business. Know God's direction in your life. Peace, direction, and the purpose of our work come from a cultivated stillness before the Lord and listening for the Word of God in our lives. And then he says, such a life wins the respect of outsiders. Wow. How are you cultivating stillness in your soul? As we move into summer, this is a great time to look at your schedule and find that space for God. Where will that be? Some of you will need to find it with kids crawling all over you because they're out of school now, but let me tell you, there's not a better time than right now to find that space with God. Maybe it's going for a walk in the beauty of our surroundings in the early morning, maybe later in the evening. Wherever you carve it out, find space to be still before the Lord, and then maybe take another step to let someone know in your community what you've chosen so they can help you stick with it. And then, when you come back next week, all summer, we're going to be digging into what a soul needs. We're going to be just looking at that and understanding that for our summer together. So, let me end with this. I think the end of the matter, as Paul brings it to us today, is this. As you seek to please God, pursue holiness, love one another well, work hard. Be still. The Christian life, if we want to grow, requires intentional cultivation of relationships, intentional cultivation of godly habits, and attentiveness to the spirit in our lives. Such a life, such a church, embedded where God has planted it, pleases God and produces the fruit that God desires, that whole cities, might be impacted for the Lord. A life that pleases God is a life that is always growing. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who takes pleasure in us, that you are pleased with us right where we are this morning. Lord, as we seek to respond to your word, to be responsive to your instructions for our lives, come alongside us Help us to dig in with the help of the Holy Spirit that we might live the life that you've called us, each of us, to live. And that we as a church might be embedded deeply in Colorado Springs that people might see and know that you are here and that you love this city, that you love them. God, move us forward, beckon us forward to growth. We are yours. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to our first Prez podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.first-prez.org.